in this house. Come on. Lord, we worship you. Come on. We can, we can do better than that. We worship you in this house today. Amen. 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 We give you glory. You may be seated. Michael's coming to lead us in our offering this morning. the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true 
grace. The Bible's not about you. Check out the reason for God, believe for the ages. First half of the book. 
skeptics and challenges to the faith. And um, he talks about them. And then the last half of the book, he gives evidences for them. And um, they're excellent, excellent book, especially if you are a Roman skeptic or you are a doubter of God. So in the midst of an age of skepticism and in the midst of an age of doubting and in the midst of an age of, of, of confusion, how can we be convinced of God? This morning is our final look through the journey of our journey through the gospel of Luke. And I'm excited about sharing this message with you guys. I'm excited about sharing this good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your nearness. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word.
we've reached the end of our journey through the gospel of Luke. It has been a journey of good news for the poor, the broken, the weak, the questioner, the burdened, the hopeful, the longing, the needful. It's been good news for men and women, young and old, black, white, brown, every shade in hue. It's it's good news. It's good news for the first century Jew and Gentile, and it is good news for the 21st century man and woman from Jerusalem to Johannesburg, from Tokyo to Tijuana, and from Milan to Mobile. It's good news for everyone. As we near the end of our journey this morning, if you've got your Bible, look at Luke chapter 4, 24 with me. Luke chapter 24. Starting at verse 46 here, it says, He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. This is Jesus talking after his resurrection. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. This is the greatest good news story in history. If you've got pen and paper or you've got your your phone or however you can take notes this morning, I encourage you to take notes. There's going to be some things on the on the screen you can help to outline, write down. I, this is an important message because this is why we're believers. This is why we are Christians. This is the greatest good news story in history. All Jesus did, all of his miracles, all of his teachings, the mission of his life was proved and confirmed by his resurrection. His resurrection is what separates us, it's what separates Jesus from every other mystic and teacher and religious figure or shaman or prophet or revolutionary or or miracle worker. The resurrection of Jesus is the validity to his claims of Messiah and Lord and God. It's his resurrection. The Apostle Paul says this about the bodily resurrection of of Jesus from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, starting there, it says, And if Christ is not raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. However, we are found to be, moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we've testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, when whom with whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Paul says, think about this statement. This is a statement from a man who risked his life for the gospel. This is a man who left his powerful position persecuting followers of Jesus. He went from town to town persecuting those who were believers. He would drag them out of their homes and he would persecute them and he would beat them. This is a statement from Paul after his conversion that basically says this. If Jesus was not raised from the dead bodily, we are all wasting our time and we are all wasting our lives 
talking about this Jesus, and we are lying about God, and we are lying about the resurrection. Paul basically says that if Jesus was not raised, everything is meaningless. And Paul says this not 2,000 years removed from the crucifixion and the empty tomb, but just a few years removed from the crucifixion and the empty tomb. People who saw Jesus face to face, people who saw the crucifixion live and in person, they also saw the empty tomb. They were still living. And Paul says, if it's not true, then we're wasting our time. saves us from sin and death because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus is not raised from the dead bodily, we are hopeless, we are pitiful, we are gullible souls who are just as lost as a newborn baby without her mother. It's the bodily resurrection of Jesus that gives hope, not just in this life, but in the life to come. The resurrection of Jesus proves that Jesus' death really dealt with my sin and that the curse of death has been broken by the sacrificial death and the triumphal resurrection of Jesus. Much of this sermon series through the through the good news of Luke has been the point us back to Jesus, right? Our faith is in Jesus. His bodily resurrection is the proof that our faith is not in vain. It is not meaningless. It is not empty. I want you to hear me this morning, church. I'm not a Christian because I believe the Bible. I'm a Christian because I believe in the risen Christ Jesus. I believe the Bible because I'm a Christian. The Bible tells me about the risen Christ, but history also tells me about the risen Christ. Dr. William Lane Craig, a a brilliant man, apologist, philosopher, theologian, he says this about the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Are you ready? He says this, most people are happy to agree that God exists, but in our pluralistic society it has become politically incorrect to claim that God has revealed himself decisively in Jesus. What justification can Christians offer in contrast to Hindus, Jews, and Muslims for thinking that the Christian God is real? The answer of the New Testament is this, the resurrection of Jesus. Acts 17.31, God will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The resurrection, Dr. William Lane Craig says, the resurrection is God's vindication of Jesus' radical personal claims to divine authority. 
So how do we know that Jesus has risen from the dead? The Easter hymn writer says, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. The answer is perfectly acceptable on an individual level. But when Christians, William Lane Craig says, when Christians engage unbelievers in the public square, such as in letters to the editor of a local paper or on call-in programs on talk radio or at PTA meetings or even just in conversation with co-workers, then it's crucial that we be able to present objective evidence in support of our beliefs. Otherwise, our claims hold no more water than the assertions of anyone else claiming to have a private experience of God. He goes on to say, fortunately, Christianity as a religion rooted in history makes claims that can, that can in important measure be investigated historically. Suppose then that we approach the New Testament writings not as inspired scripture, but merely as a collection of Greek documents coming down to us out of the first century without any assumption as to their reliability other than we have than the way we normally regard other sources of ancient history. You understand what he's saying? You understand what, what, what he's saying? Let's, what if we just take scripture the way we take every other historical writing? Can its claims be validated? Can we find them to be sure, just as we would validate the writings of Plato or Homer? He goes on to say, we may be surprised to learn that the majority of New Testament critics investigating the Gospels in this way accept the central facts undergirding the resurrection of Jesus. He goes on to say, because this is important. I want to emphasize that I'm not talking about evangelical or conservative scholars only, but about the broad spectrum of New Testament critics who teach at secular universities and non-evangelical seminaries. As you guys know, there are many institutions of higher learning that have schools of divinity, but they aren't necessarily Christian universities. And even some of their professors are not even Christians or claims to be, claim to be Christians. They are just studied in theology and understand theology and the historical works of theology. And they teach theology in a school of theology, school of religion. He says, even these, the vast majority, amazing as it may seem, most of them have come to regard as historical fact basic facts which support the resurrection of Jesus. These facts are as follows. Real quick, fact number one, after his crucifixion, Jesus was buried in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. So even those who are not Christians and Christian scholars, those who have just studied history of the New Testament, accept these facts. One, Jesus was, after his crucifixion, he was buried in a tomb. Fact number two, on Sunday following the crucifixion, Jesus' tomb was found to be empty by a group of his of women followers. Fact number three, on multiple occasions and under various circumstances, different individuals and groups of people experienced appearances of Jesus from the dead. These are scholars across, across the spectrum. Accept these to be facts based on the historical evidence. Fact number four, the original disciples believed that Jesus was risen from the dead despite their having every predisposition to the contrary. Think about it. Their leader was dead. According to Jewish law, Jesus' execution as a criminal showed him to be a heretic. And 
Jewish beliefs about the afterlife pre precluded anyone's rising from the dead to glory or immortality before the general resurrection at the end of the world. Despite all of this, he goes on to say, the original disciples believed in and were willing to go to their deaths for the fact of Jesus' resurrection. N.T. Wright says this, this is why, as a historian, I cannot explain the rise of early Christianity unless Jesus rose again, leaving an empty tomb behind. I am a believer in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It is the foundation of our faith. It's the proof of the claims of Jesus. It's why I live my life surrendered and submitted to the life and the teachings of Jesus. I am not, listen, I am not interested in following a moral code that has no real authority. I am not interested in following rules and rituals that have no salvific power that cannot save. I am not interested in following a God that isn't revealed in the resurrected Jesus. If Jesus is not raised and the resurrection of the grave, not the, the reality, then I have no use for religion. in a religion as a panacea for the masses, as a way to control a populace or keep a society civil. But I am interested in Jesus. I'm interested in his life and his teachings and his miracles and his authority and his power and his ethic, his ethos, his character, his, his, his authority, his, his power, his, his, his righteousness, his understanding of the law and the prophets, his sacrificial love, his truth, his, his grace, his preaching, his, his prayers, his nature, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his promised return, and his promise to resurrect all of those who have been made righteous through his death. I'm interested in Jesus. And since I'm interested in Jesus, I'm interested in his bodily resurrection again. It is the linchpin of the whole movement. And that's not just my argument. That's the argument Jesus himself makes before his ascension. We're in Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 36. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. This is Jesus. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. Because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Not only do I have flesh and blood that you can bone, that you can see and touch, I, can, I also can eat food. I'm a, a living person. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I 
was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understanding the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you have until you are empowered from on high. Then he led them out of the vicinity to Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. And after worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. Luke records these words from Jesus. And this claim of the bodily resurrection of Jesus is repeated over and over by the apostles in their sermons and by the apostles in their letters to the churches. But it's not a claim invented by the apostles. It's a claim made by Jesus himself. A spiritual resurrection or a metaphysical resurrection or a a metaphorical or allegorical resurrection would have been easier to sell if they were inventing a story or a movement. It's not just allegory. A few during the during COVID during during lockdown, I started watching NASCAR. I was one of those guys. NASCAR is not for me until COVID, and then I was like, there is nothing to watch live except these guys driving around in a circle. Let's see what's going on. So I started watching NASCAR. Bubba Wallace from Mobile started following NASCAR. Yesterday, you guys probably don't have any clue because I get it. I'm very good to watch NASCAR anymore. Yesterday was a truck race for uh, the uh, 75th celebration of NASCAR and racing at this track that hasn't been raced on in like 30-something years, Northville, Florida, North Carolina. I know, I didn't know about Kentucky. I was just racing. And so they're gathered to, you know, and they, they pray before every race. You know, God loves NASCAR. So they pray before every race. NASCAR prayers. Yesterday, the, the man praying, the pastor praying, and, and again, Jesus' Jesus' resurrection is not just allegorical. The man praying yesterday, he thanked in his prayer over the race, the tr- start of the truck race. He prayed and thanked the Lord for the death and the resurrection of Jesus who rose, who was raised from the dead on the third day. And just like Jesus' resurrection was raised and brought back to death, brought back to life from death, you have brought this track back to life from death. The resurrection of Jesus is not just some allegory or metaphorical that we can go to when things that have been dead are alive again. No, it's a reality. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is a reality. 
and if the, but if the disciples were inventing a story, it would have been much easier for them to invent this story of, of how, how if you just follow Jesus, yes, his spirit was raised, that you could be raised too. But it wasn't just about his spirit. A spiritual resurrection could be, could be ethereal and easy to get Gnostics and Jews to believe. Oh, yeah, his spirit raised from the dead. They could, they could say that just like his spirit was raised, your spirit can too be raised. But what kind of allegory would a bodiless resurrection be? What kind of an allegory would it even be if it wasn't based in some type of reality? See, convincing people to believe that a man who they had seen crucified was alive, that's a harder sell. That's a harder sell. But that's what they went with. They could have just said, oh, it's spiritual, and if, and if you'll put your faith in Jesus, just like his spirit was raised, and just like we were strengthened by him and his teachings, you too can have your spirit raised and be strengthened by his teachings. That would have been easier, but that's not what they went with. They told people who saw him die that he was now alive. But it's the story they went with because they were convinced it was true. talk about not just spiritual resurrection for those who put their faith in Jesus, but an actual bodily resurrection for believers in Jesus. A ghost does not have flesh and bone. Jesus claims to have flesh and bone. Jesus can also appear seemingly out of nowhere. It says while they were talking, Jesus just appeared. His body is super natural. It's natural and it's super. It's resurrected. The bodily resurrection matters. Dr. Benjamin C.F. Shaw puts it this way. Jesus' resurrection is, quote, of first importance for the gospel message. Through this event, Christians are justified before God, are able to walk in newness of life and have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's central to the Christian message. It's Christian central to their sermons. In these sermons, the apostles will point out that they were witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. In an article on the reality of the resurrection, Zach Zavada says this, archaeological discoveries continue to support the Bible's historical accuracy. We tend to forget that the Gospels and books of Acts are eyewitness accounts of the life and death of Jesus. Further, non-biblical evidence for Jesus' existence comes from the writings of Flavius Josephus, a Jewish historian, from Cornelius Tacitus, from Lucian of Sebasada, and the Jewish Sanhedrin. He then lists seven evidences of the resurrection. I had Pastor Jared share these on Easter morning. I want to share them again. You can write them down. You're going to see them on the screen. The resurrection proof number one, the empty tomb of Jesus. The empty tomb may be the strongest proof Jesus rose from the dead. I'm going to share this full article on my socials later so you can have even more context. Number two. Resurrection proof number two, the holy women eyewitnesses. 
These women are further proof of the Gospels are accurate historical records. Because if the accounts had been made up, no ancient author would have ever used women for witnesses of Christ's resurrection. They were not and did not have any authority, and you could not base their testimony on their word alone. But the apostles did, because they were telling the truth. Number three, Jesus' apostles' newfound courage. After Jesus' appearance to them in his resurrection, they went from hiding in this, in this room and being and fearful and afraid to going out into the world and facing beatings and facing persecution, even death because of the resurrection. changed lives of James and others. James was Jesus' half-brother. They had the same mama, different daddy. James was skeptical of Jesus' claims because who's going to believe their brother when they say, I'm God? They're going to say, I'm about to punch you in the face and show you who's God in this house. resurrection, James believed and James became a leader in the church. Number five, large crowds of eyewitnesses. A large crowd of more than 500 eyewitnesses saw the risen Jesus Christ at the same time, at one time. Paul records this event in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. There were other smaller groups who saw Jesus and that Jesus appeared to and spoke to. They all saw and testified to the same thing. Number six, resurrection proof number six, the conversion of Paul. The conversion of Paul records one of the most drastically changed lives in the Bible. He was a persecutor of the early church, but after his vision and seeing the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul converted, became a Christian, stopped persecuting the church, but began preaching to the church and became one who would be persecuted as well. Resurrection proof number seven. These folks died for Jesus. Countless people, those who saw him die and saw him of something would you have to be to die for it? And how willing would you be to die for something if you knew you made it up? I didn't break the vase, Mom. But you really did. If you know it's a lie, Jesus did not rise from the dead, if 
I knew that Jesus, if I was there and I saw him die, and I knew that he had not been bodily raised from the dead, I am not dying for him. I'm not even living for him.
another blessing is now our condemnation is removed. Romans 8, 34, our condemnation is removed. Romans 8, 34 says this, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised, and he also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So our condemnation is removed because of his resurrection. He is raised from the dead, and he intercedes for us, and he prays for us, and our condemnation is no more because he conquered sin, he took the condemnation, and he was raised to life on the third day. Because of his resurrection, we have this next promise. We have the promise of Jesus' presence. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Because of his resurrection, he is with us. We have the promise of his presence. and his resurrection, we have this, we have proof of righteous judgment, that God judges righteously, that God will judge us righteously. Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, verse 31, we have proof of righteous judgment because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He will judge, again, he's going to judge the world in righteousness by Jesus we raised from the dead. He will judge righteously. He is a righteous judge who judges righteously through Jesus. We can be confident in God's judgment because we can be confident in Jesus. We can be confident in God's righteous judgment because we can be confident in Jesus. We can be confident in, 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 our, in our lack of understanding and in our questions. And we can say, well, how can God judge this person? Or how can God judge this? Or how can God judge the one who's never heard? Or how can God judge? We can trust in God's judgment that it's righteous because of Jesus. God will judge righteously because Jesus has been raised from the dead. We have proof of righteous judgment. Because of Jesus' bodily resurrection, we have this blessing. You're writing it down. It's rescue and reconciliation. Rescue and reconciliation. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 110 says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Romans 510 says this, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? We have rescue and reconciliation because our savior who was in the grave was resurrected from the grave and he ascended to heaven, we have rescue and reconciliation. God has rescued us and brought us near to himself because Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus' resurrection rescues and reconciles us. His death accomplished 
his bodily resurrection, and you're writing it down, we too, church, have hope of a bodily resurrection from the dead. Me and you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits, the first crop. 1 Corinthians 6, 14, God raised up the Lord, <laughs> this is about as plain as it gets, God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, we have a bodily resurrection from the dead. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. 2 Corinthians 4, 14, for we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. The resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection is the first fruits, it's the taste, it is the image, it is the picture of what will happen to all of us who in faith put our put our trust in God through Jesus, we too will be raised from the dead. There is a bodily resurrection for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. The grave did not have the final say for Jesus and the grave will not have the final say for all of those who have put their faith and their trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. had not been raised, we are most miserable. But praise be to God. Jesus has been raised to life on the third day as spoken by the prophets. And our response to the bodily resurrection of Jesus should be the same as the disciples as they watched this Jesus who was dead but is alive, ascend into heaven, worship
to life. The resurrection does that. Everything changed because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you were one of the disciples that day, why would you not worship and be joyful? The Jesus you had seen crucified is now before you alive. He's eating fish and telling you to trust him. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, what is there to fear? If Jesus has been raised from the dead, what is there to be afraid of? What is there to worry? Why give God give worry the last word? If Jesus has been raised from the dead, go from a worrier to a worshiper. Jesus has proven through his statement to Martha at the death of the death of Lazarus that it's true. Jesus said to her in John eleven twenty five, "I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will." Jesus has been raised from the dead, then why worry about persecution or imprisonment or death or exploitation or poverty or sickness? say about these things if God is for us who can be against us he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him grant us everything who can bring an accusation against God's elect God is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus is the one who died but even more has been raised he is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us who can separate us from the love of Christ can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written because of you we were being put to death all day long we were counted sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus' resurrection proves the love of God and it rescues us and it gives us assurance and it gives us peace and it gives us hope and it allows come, even when poverty or famine or nakedness, Jesus is with us, he is resurrected and he walks with us and he talks with us and he keeps us and he holds us and he goes with us, Jesus is alive forevermore. They went from warriors to worshipers, says they left worshiping and joyous, listen our joy isn't a denial of our suffering. Joy is the reality of the resurrected Christ Jesus. Because Jesus was raised to life, 
James said in Romans 8, I am persuaded. I am persuaded. Like Paul, I am convinced. I am persuaded. That nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we worship. is true that everything's going to be alright if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened then ultimately God is going to put everything right suffering is going to go away
Jesus.